folks. Welcome back to the next Community Podcast. I am Angelo Luciani, along with Laura Whalen. Hello, everyone. And from Tech Reckoning, John Mark Troyer. Hey, guys. On today's podcast, we have two returning guests, uh, Michael Webster and Jonathan Kohler. Both are Nutanix engineers, and we chat about a set of blog posts they wrote recently. Yeah, um, so today's Tech Chat topics came about from a couple of their posts. The first one, in kernel or not, hyperconverged storage services, hokey pokey. And that one was by John Kohler um, on his data center stuff blog. And in kernel or not in kernel, this is the hyperconverged question. And that's uh, from Michael Webster's blog, Long White Virtual Clouds. Yeah, they jump right into the argument. So let's set it up a little bit. Basically, we're talking about the Nutanix platform runs in a VM or runs in user space up above the hypervisor. It isn't integrated with the hypervisor. And the question is, is it performant enough to do the things it needs to do? I think there's two main arguments they go into here. One is an architectural argument about both maintainability and interfaces and things like that. And one is a performance argument. Michael Webster published one after that to talk about performance of, of the Nutanix platform called VMware vSphere, a great place to run enterprise databases, also worth checking out. Yeah, we'll have all these links in our show notes. Great discussion and really good insights on to kernel or not to kernel. So with that, let's jump right into the interview. Welcome to the next community podcast. This week we have two returning guests. We have Michael Webster and Jonathan Kohler on the line. Hey guys. Hey guy. Hello. Hey, thanks for for joining today. Kind of a a good mix, and we not too long ago we had uh, Mark Bernstadt on, actually our first double guest, talking about the NPX program, and you guys are probably two likely candidates. The topic for this week is user space or in the kernel. I think you know on that note we'll we'll get started here. I think most people will will know who you guys are. What is your kind of your main thought on this topic, you know, right out of the gate? I think a lot of people tend to think performance, but you both written some blog posts, lots of different actually areas where you kind of go into what is the the top concern on your mind, Jonathan? You hear about the kernel. Well, you know, I think each approach has its advantages. Um, But if you just look at the kind of pace of innovation, both at the hardware and software level, having something that's modular that can be quickly iterated and quickly ramped up for new features, you know, really nothing beats user space at that point. Yeah, I think I would I would agree with that. I I think one of the biggest crown jewels in the Nutanix software puzzle is probably the the modified uh, NoSQL database, which is in Java. And if I think if that had to go into the kernel, you know, we basically have to write that from scratch. So I think that's kind of you know, one added benefit where we basically have the, the 4,000 committers behind Nutanix in that sense. Is that kind of what you mean or just yeah, other things? Yeah, it's uh, part and parcel to it, right? You know, it's uh, when you have um, those components which are, you know, mature and advanced within the industry, it's not just your developers working on it, uh, whereas most kernel projects are uh, closed source, right? Um, you just have a kind of a group of developers and, you know, maybe there's some open source stuff that gets injected in, but with user space, you get a lot more flexibility to bring in code and projects. Yeah, I can think of a, a, several recent examples of uh, things that we've needed to do at Nutanix. And, uh, you know, instead of starting from scratch, just simply, you know, pulling some open source binaries. Um, and, you know, it helps us really accelerate the pace of innovation here. Yeah, I think the binary pieces and maybe even APIs, like I don't know if that kind of can tie into it as far as other 
other partners trying to to use the software to their advantage as well? Well, maybe, maybe. I mean, any, it's possible to write an API for anything for the most part. Right? And I'm sure I'll get uh, torn up on that, but you know, having the combination of the ability to rapidly put stuff in your product and iterate really quickly, combined with the you know, strong um, API API everything model that we have at Nutanix, it really helps us work fast and our ecosystem work fast with us. I think the key thing, though, is not just the pace of innovation, it's being able to apply that innovation without disruption. Because one of the key uh, differences between the kernel space and the user space is that you can restart a user daemon uh, without any problems and without any disruption to that entire host, whereas if you've got something stuck in the kernel, the entire host has to go down to be able to take on whatever the new code is. Uh, so in, in the you know virtual world, that means at a minimum, you've got to migrate your virtual machines to a different host. At a minimum, it also means that kernel's potentially being bloated and, you know, away from its original purpose, which is to run the leanest, meanest, uh, reduced set of functions that it can to achieve its primary goal. Um, and in the case of a hypervisor, that's really to schedule virtual machines fairly in terms of all of the different resources that are in a box and uh, make sure that they get the best performance possible. Um, now, seeing as we just touched on the performance there, there's no reason that performance of user space is any better or worse than performance in kernel space. You're still accessing resources and there are mechanisms to bypass kernel for certain functions. And if we even look outside of the Nutanix platform, RDMA is a perfect example of that. And there's RDMA over Ethernet, which is just a direct, basically, memory transaction over a network to another system. It doesn't need to go through kernel space necessarily, although there will be drivers in there. And the Nutanix storage controller is another great example of that, whereas it uses pass-through to the physical disk, so it bypasses the, the hypervisor kernel, essentially, to do those transactions and can use the native drivers for the underlying controllers and disks. So just because it's in user space doesn't make it any slower. In fact, you know, we've built in things like compression, deduplication and stuff, which make it faster than uh, what would otherwise be in a kernel. Biggest issue for me is being able to do things very simply, being able to do things in a non-disruptive fashion, keeping the kernel absolutely locked down and secure because that is, if it breaks, the, the crown jewels are gone. You know, you've got everything let into your system. So you don't want to bloat that up and increase the attack surface from a security perspective. You know, performance is what is important, but it's not, you know, it's not like the prime objective. Yeah, I guess once you get past a certain number of IOPS, it's kind of meaningless. But I think you're just on the heels of uh, releasing um, a blog post where you were doing a lot of work with uh, databases and actually the DVD store benchmark. And yeah, so I was using the Dell DVD store benchmark, which is a pretty cool little benchmark. Um, Todd Muirhead, who's one of the performance engineers from VMware, was um, one of the authors of it. And it supports lots of different databases, um, including Unix and Windows, uh, you know, Oracle, SQL Server, Postgres, MySQL, etc. But it simulates like a, an online DVD store and measures orders per minute and things like that. And I've done a lot of work with that around Oracle and also a lot of work around SQL. And I just published a SQL Server uh, blog post on that, you know, where we get really good performance and really good scalability. And it's, you know, it, if it meets your requirements, that's great. That's all that, that you should be concerned with. Because, you know, back in 2012, VMware did a demonstration where they could do a million IOPS in a VM, a couple of millisecond latency. The hypervisor and the IO path to the backend storage, now that was using SAN, so that means it's got to go through a very convoluted IO path across multiple network hops and things like that not like local storage where you can access it in microseconds. 
And, you know, that was a million IOPS in a single VM. So, you know, really from a performance perspective, the hypervisor is not a bottleneck whatsoever. Um, so running a high-performance virtual machine in, in a hypervisor is not a problem. Having a bloated hypervisor kernel and having a larger attack surface from a security perspective and having to basically patch and restart hosts all the time and potentially take down the kernel with, a, with either an attack or a bug is a problem. And also having unrelated bugs as well. So let's say you're not a customer of that particular kernel, doesn't matter what the kernel is, and um, the feature that they built in has got no relationship to 99.99% of the market, yet it introduces a whole lot of bugs. And everybody else gets affected by those bugs whether or not they're using it. Whereas in user space, if people don't want to use whatever it is, you just turn it off. You don't even have it there in the first place. So you're not going to be impacted by any potential bugs that it might contain. Yeah, and that's uh, so. That's a, that's a perfect point. And Michael, you covered pretty much <laughs> pretty much everything I was going to say. I don't want to expand on the security and isolation piece um, as well. You know, we talk about Nutanix, um, you know, being very commodity and and uh, you know pulling things in as we need. Um, but that doesn't mean you're we're pulling in you know all the open source binaries under the sun. Right? We we are very diligent about what we bring into the kernel. Uh, excuse me, what we bring into the user space code within our system so that uh, we, we, we bring in exactly what we need. Uh, so, you know, unlike having to bring in, you know, other binaries to support other functions that aren't ours, we bring in exactly what we need and have a very, very tight attack surface for it. And if you look at internal mechanisms where you have to support a whole slew of features, which is, you know, that is a, uh, a valid approach, but it does increase both your attack service and kind of QA service as well um, to be able to make sure that there's, there's no regressions across that code set. I think from security too, probably the the biggest security by obscurity probably is the kernel. And I think it's probably not a fair statement because you could be very open about what you're doing inside the kernel. But with most vendors, I don't think that's the case. Usually you kind of keep that to yourself. Maybe that's probably more of a Nutanix where we're fairly open with, you know, uh, CSVs that are out and pending and, and how to protect it. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, or maybe it's a non-issue? Well, absolutely. So uh, my two cents on that is that, yeah, sure, typical kernel processing is very much a black box, right? And there's usually APIs and extensions there for people to hook into it. But the downside of that is if you can't do you know, static code analysis or, or other types of analysis on that code base, there could be holes that you're unaware of and uh, are exposed to. Uh, some large vendor recently had exposed, you know, they had this open bug for like 600, 700 days, whatever it was, that was just sitting there, but uh, they just never got around to fixing it. And by the time it got exposed, they said, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's been there for, you know, three, four, five years, um, but nobody had any visibility into it. Nobody could kind of plan their applications and deployments uh, around it. Um, whereas, you know, if you were a bad guy and did discover that, you know, it'd be easy wormhole in and out. I know we also kind of, well, Michael, as you mentioned, kind of touched on a lot of things. The the operations piece was always kind of big um, when I was on the customer side, especially with our uh, the VDI deployment we had. Rolling 100 machines from host to host kind of takes a while, even in the just in the normal kind of day-to-day of, you know, keeping a view environment up and running. One thing that kind of sticks in my mind is early on at Nutanix, we actually switched operating systems from Ubuntu to CentOS. And... I don't know how you could even do that from a, a kernel perspective, but we obviously had some motivations around security and kind of getting it related to the Red Hat train. But I don't know if that 
Is that a would you uh, even uh, care about that in the kernel? No, Probably I don't not. think you would because you don't really have another operating system at the, at the kernel level. You are the op, the OS, so you don't have those um, necessarily those sorts of problems. Um, but the reason we did it was for FIPS compliance. Um, and I mean, Nutanix has got one of the most comprehensive set of security compliance certifications that there are, simply because of the you know large customer base that we have across government sectors across the globe, um, and the the types of places that that our platforms run. Um, so keeping security tight is is very very important. Having that compliance um, certification regime is important, and being able to patch um, security vulnerabilities uh, fast when they are discovered is also very important. But I think one of the best things about our practice, especially when it comes to security, is we try and leave everything out that we possibly can and only put in what we absolutely essentially need in all cases um, to keep things nice and thin as well. So we are trying to take an approach that is reducing the um, the attack surface in the controller. Now, one thing that um, uh, you know people try and use as a negative is how much resources the storage controllers use in a Nutanix environment because we're in user space, et cetera. You know, to be honest, it doesn't matter. Wherever the system is running, it's going to use resources. Those resources are used to provide the benefits that your applications want, fast access to I.O., the ability to non-disruptively upgrade, you know, high-performance, um, highly available storage that can be replicated across multiple data centers. So it's not like you're not getting anything from those resources. And at the end of the day, if those resources go to producing better performance than what you had before, and you can quantify the benefits from using those resources, then what's the problem? Because every other platform, regardless of where the storage controller sits, uses resources. Um, the difference in a hyperconverged platform, of course, is that the controllers are on the same nodes as the user virtual machines that they're running, whereas on you know a traditional storage array, the controllers are on a dedicated box, essentially, that's connected to the disks but you've got to go over a network to get it. You don't have any opportunity to access those storage resources directly through the memory bus of the local machine, directly down to the PCIe or the, the local storage controller, which you do in a Nutanix environment. I think it's quite hard to um, even kind of draw conclusions on resources, like what's going to take up more, because typically, you know, the platforms are so different. From our, from our perspective, we control where the rights are going. We do checksums on the data. We do a lot of additional steps that maybe some other people aren't doing. So I don't even, you know, how do you put a, a price tag on availability and reliability? Data protection is number one. And I don't care about <laughs> anything else if I don't have data protection at all. So the system's, the system's not a read-only device, right? Or, you know, like a worm yeah. device. So it's, uh, you know, <laughs> data has to be available. Um, and then secondarily, it has to be usable. It's not to say that we don't place priorities on, on both. You know, data needs to be available and protected. You know, every over everything else, and and enterprise storage services, uh, like Michael said, they they don't come cheap, right? All IOs cost CPU and, and memory, you know, however granular that is, um, whether that's in the server or in some remote storage device. Um, someone has to do the work, but of course, in a hyperconverged solution, you know, you're getting uh, a lot of benefits that offset any sort of overhead that you have. You know, as Michael said. You, if you can have that um, value out of the system, then you know it doesn't really matter one way or the other what resources it use, uh, uses. Which of course you can tune up and down with Nutanix, but you know there's there's all the added benefits of simplification, density, power cooling savings, um, uh, operational overhead reductions, and, and so on. So my two cents on that. 
and a lot of these things we wouldn't we, we wouldn't be able to achieve as efficiently as we are if we're in the kernel and we also definitely wouldn't be able to provide that simplicity ease of management non-disruptive um, upgrade you know that sort of iteration cycle um, for customers easily if we were uh, in a kernel which is why being in user space is a lot better so one other thing I wanted to, to extend on along those same lines that we didn't really touch on before is portability. If you just look at the, the last 10 years of IT and all the changes that have taken place, you know, tying ourselves into a specific version of a kernel or um, you know, a specific um, solution that's installed bare metal, it can be challenging for innovation and portability. Um, kind of proved that out over the years where, of course, we originally supported VMware as a flagship product. But I've also added um, full support for um, Hyper-V and KVM. Some other major player comes along and releases the newest, hottest, coolest thing. Um, it just makes it all that much easier being in user space to adapt their technology to, to some new upstart with a better idea. I was just going to mention the, the vendor lock-in and try to be the devil advocate for the, the boogeyman as far as the lock-in goes. Because, you know, some people will say, well, Nutanix is a form of lock-in. But I think you kind of nailed it on the head about the ability to move workloads. You know, we're not all the way there, but we can we can get into Amazon now. We have the ability to do, you know, DR from vSphere to, to KVM as a backup. So it's interesting. Yeah, nobody really well, talks about it, but, you know, Amazon is a Zen-based platform, right? So that's technically, if you wanted to count it, a fourth hypervisor that our product runs on top of. Oh, God, you just unleashed all the Citrix VDI people. Oh, us. God, yeah. yeah. It's box. <laughs> yeah, we we don't really know. I mean, you know, in the next ten years, there could be something completely different that uh, takes over. I mean, look at the rise of Docker over the last couple of years and containerization and things like that. The way that we've set up our controller, it could easily run inside of a container. So there's no restriction. It, you know, it just has to be a platform that can run our controller and the other workloads that can benefit from that controller. So being able to run multiple hypervisors without actually having to change the way we do things is incredibly valuable for our customers because it gives them the choice to do what they need to do to support their business. They can choose multiple hardware options. The only common layer really is the Nutanix software that that ties it all together. If you think that's lock-in, you obviously haven't tried to do a storage vMotion or a migration from one virtual platform to another. It's so easy that if we did something that didn't work out, um, customers could easily migrate off. You know, we've got to maintain our innovation. We've got to maintain our our keenness to provide good customer experiences because it is so easy to migrate off one virtual platform to another. The difference with Nutanix is we also give you the ability to easily migrate from one hypervisor to another if you choose that's the right thing for your business. You know, obviously, we're not in the business of dictating which hypervisors our customers um, should choose that fit their business needs, although we can obviously provide solutions around whatever their requirements are. If we were stuck in a kernel, that would make it very hard to uh, support you know, customer's choice. Yeah, I just think it's a lot of a lot of flexibility in kind of what we're doing here at Nutanix. Um, I think we probably hit all the the points that I kind of had on was thinking about. Anybody else have any kind of closing thoughts on on the topic? Well, there yeah. is one thing that just irks me about this this thing because a few years ago there was only one game in town. And that game in town, their main competition, they were poo-pooing the whole time, saying, oh, they're, they're no good because they're bloating their stack. It's just a general purpose operating system. It's got all these problems with all these drivers that it's got to support. 
It's got a massive uh, install surface, like it's five gigs to install, and it's got a massive attack surface from a security perspective. You know, you want something that's thin, like a supermodel that just does what it needs to do and things like that. Now, you know, five years down the track, they're doing exactly the same thing that they're criticizing their major competitor for doing five years ago. It's complete hypocrisy what's going on at the moment. Yeah, it's always pretty easy to get a foot in mouth in, in IT. I've done it on some other topics, but yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, uh, regardless of technology squabbles in the IT schoolyard, so to speak, uh, you know, it's really all about the customer, right, and delivering value to them. Um, because without them, we don't exist, right? We can pontificate all we want, but um, you know, at the end of the day, we make technology decisions that uh, both our customers are asking for, and that we think our customers are going to gain value from. So, you know, we want to be as flexible as they want their business to be as well. So, that's kind of where I see ourselves, um, and certainly, I'm sure other other business folks uh, will see that as well. But uh, you know, we really take that to heart. Again, without the customers, we'd be we'd be nowhere. We're the we're the little fish in a big pond, and we're building a the fastest growing company in the infrastructure space for the last X number of decades. And the only reason that's happening is because we're 100% dedicated to providing good customer experiences and giving customers choice about how they want to run their business and providing a layer of integration that can support that choice easily and that can you know give them iterative benefits over time that are non-disruptive that are easy to take on board i agree yeah i think i think we've uh, we've covered that on closing out i know you guys are all over the map as far as moving around and going to customer sites and speaking do you have anything on the the near roadmap that we can let other people know about maybe they can track you down at a public event uh, i'll I'm, be speaking at next our user conference in, in the summer yeah i'm speaking there. at the um the Auckland VMAC in April, and I'll be speaking at the next user conference in uh, June as well. Uh, and then after the next user conference, um, I plan to tour the US and visit multiple cities, um, meeting customers, um, talking to prospects, and figuring out what's what's next after next, and <laughs> what do we need to do? Because you know, being as part of the R and D team, yeah, we're always looking at getting the best stuff out the door today, but we've also got to always be planning for the future and what needs to come afterwards. Right on, guys. Well, thanks for your time. I know it's it's late Friday uh, as we're recording this and, and Saturday for you, Michael. So thanks again. Thanks for joining us on the, the Nutanix Next Community Podcast and look forward to seeing you guys in, in person. Thanks very much. All right, yes, thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow Nutanix on Twitter for the latest news and announcements. Subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if you're so inclined, please review or rate us on iTunes. If you're interested on being a guest on the podcast or have a topic idea, let us know at community at Nutanix.com. I'm Angela Luciani. I'm Laura Whalen. And I'm John Mark Troyer. See you folks next time.